So for this time together right now, uh, we're going to be taking our uh, next step into this teaching on the Four Noble Truths. And I'm going to share with you about the First Noble Truth and hopefully intertwine it with our practice, our meditation practice that we're also exploring here together on our retreat. And the way I'd like to begin is uh, by sharing with you a poem. Because I think there's a particular poem that strikes me that, that gives to me some of the emotional quality of what is attempted to be uh, uh, captured in this first noble truth. And it's a poem by the poet Marie Howe. And it's a poem called, What the Living Do. And before I share it with you, I want to give you a little bit of a, a context about the poem, because I think the context is uh, striking. So this is a poem where she's writing to her brother, her brother who has passed away. And her brother's uh, name is uh, Johnny. And it was a brother that she was really close with before he died. So just remembering that as you're hearing that, this is a letter to him after he's died. So she begins, Johnny, the kitchen sink has been clogged for days. Some utensil probably fell down there. And the Drano won't work, but smells dangerous and the crusty dishes have piled up, waiting for the plumber I still haven't called. This is the everyday we spoke of. It's winter again, the sky's a deep headstrong blue, and the sunlight pulls, pours through the open living room windows because the heat's on too high in here and I can't turn it off. For weeks now, driving or dropping a bag of groceries in the streets, the bag breaking, I've been thinking, this is what the living do. And yesterday, hurrying along those wobbly bricks in the Cambridge sidewalk, spilling my coffee down my wrist and sleeve, I thought it again. And again later, when buying a hairbrush, this is it parking, slamming the car door shut in the cold, what you called that yearning, what you finally gave up. We want the spring to come and the winter to pass. We want whoever to call or not call. A letter, a kiss. We want more and more and then more of it. But there are moments walking when I catch a glimpse of myself in the window glass. Say the window of the corner video store and I'm gripped by a cherishing so deep for my own blowing hair, chapped face and unbuttoned coat that I'm speechless. 
I am living. I remember you. This is what the living do, don't they? We struggle. Our kitchens get clogged. We spill our coffee. We want spring to come and the winter to pass. Or we want to call or not, whoever to call or not call, or we want a letter or a kiss. You experience this? The struggles and the challenges of living. And what's so powerful for me, it's, it's encapsulated in this letter, a letter to someone who's gone. Can you hear that edge that happens? Maybe you've experienced when we lose someone and we want them to be around, to share with, to connect. And yes, there are other moments too, right? She says that, but there are moments walking. I catch a glimpse of myself. I experience something different. She says, oh, I'm living. And I feel like when the Buddha introduces us to this first noble truth, there is suffering, there is challenge and difficulty. It's just that simple fact. Oh, this is what the living do. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with us or we're bad. It means we're living. We're faced with these challenges and struggles as human beings. You know, it said that the task for the first noble truth is to understand it. And I think this is one of the first understandings that's been so important to me. My suffering and my challenges are not a judgment on who I am or how well I'm doing. It's just simply what happens when we live. And yeah, it's true on this path, we're wanting to open up the space, the doorway to see if we can relate to these challenges, relate to the difficulties, to the suffering in a different way. To open up the possibility to have some freedom around this in the midst of this human predicament. And I think that's one of the other things I really appreciate about how the, the Buddha talks about suffering is in a really practical way. And we find this in the Four Noble Truths. One understanding of the Four Noble Truths is that it's uh, based on a medical model, right? Just as in, in a, with a medical model, what's the first thing you have to, to, to get a sense of? Oh, what's the problem? What's the problem we want to address? 
ah, it's suffering, it's challenges. And when we say what's the problem, we don't mean that all of life is suffering. We're just really interested in figuring out, okay, what's, what's the thing that we wanna address? And that's the first noble truth. And then the second noble truth in a medical model would be, so we know what the problem is, what's the cause of that? And that's what the second noble truth goes, uh, goes over. And then the third noble truth. Okay, well, we know what the problem is. This is what we want to address. This is the cause. And then what's the prognosis? What's the, what's the, um, what would be the outcome if we really address this? Oh, we see that if, uh, if the cause is taken away, there's no more the cause, there's no more suffering. Suffering ceases. And then with a good medical model, we want to figure out how to make that happen. So I just want to point out the practicality of this. Oh, we're human beings, we suffer. How to address this? Okay, let's find the cause. Take away the cause here. There's some relief, there's freedom. And then there's a way to do that. And as Don pointed out last night, when the Buddha is talking about suffering, sometimes that's the, not the best translation of dukkha. Sometimes the some translators talk about it in terms of stress. This whole range of it, as Don was saying, to you know, deep grief, fear, you know, terror, to the subtlety of it. And I want to share with you one image that I think points to how subtle this suffering can be, this stress that still nags at us in some ways. So let me just uh, bring this up for you to see if you can see this here. I don't know if you can see that. Do you see the, the, the person with their dog and the dog's thinking, <laughs> it's always good dog, never great dog. Maybe you can relate, right? <laughs> Sometimes it feels like this. We get something, but we don't get the fullness of what we're looking for. Maybe you've experienced that before. Always good dog, never great dog. That too is dukkha. That too is the stress that the Buddha is so interested that we begin to address, we begin to examine in some manner. So the whole range. And not only the whole range, the Buddha is looking at a particular flavor in this whole range. And this is really important to start to understand when we're talking to you about meditation and what we're beginning to address, I think this is a, an important distinction, is that he's really interested, the Buddha, you could say, at least the Buddha we find in the Pali Canon, interested in the subjective experience of suffering that's born out of how our minds react to experience. So this is important, this is super important. So I have a pain in my knee this practice, what we're really interested in is how is my mind relating to that? I have fear about how a situation is going to unfold. How is my mind relating to that fear? 
I'm having difficulties with family or friends or a colleague. How is my mind relating to that? And in meditation and in this, this practice of seeing clearly or perceiving clearly, you could say, I get to get a sense of freedom because I get to see that, that there's a doorway open to relating to this human experience differently. So I, th I think this is an important distinction that this is what we're wanting to examine. How is the mind perceiving? And this is important because it's not denying that there are external factors that shape our lives. And it's not denying that you can have influences over, to some extent, <laughs> a little bit of influence over those external factors where there can be some change when we navigate them, whether it be physical pain. Sometimes there's things we can do to navigate physical pain to a certain extent, which some of you probably experienced. What we're really curious about is how is the mind relating to that physical pain? It's not saying you shouldn't try to take care of your health and uh, a condition like that, but how's your mind relating to it? It's that realm of freedom that we're really curious about. And, and I want to point out responding to the challenges and difficulties in our own lives. And I'd say especially responding to the challenges and difficulties that we face collectively is important ethically. I think that's what part of the ethical life is. The Buddha is so, so uh, clear about that, that it's fine to respond. But a different kind of response can come when I start to see how the mind's reacting, how the mind's holding those challenges. So important. So I think this is important to keep in mind while we're exploring this together during this retreat. As I said, sometimes with the first noble truth, uh, what's talked about is the task that comes with the first noble truth. What's the task? To understand it, to understand stress, to understand dukkha. And a particular way of understanding it. One is the way I already mentioned, oh, this is what happens. This is what it is to be a human being. Yep, this is, what the living do. And that's a huge step in and of itself, right? Maybe if your mind's like mine, you know how difficult this can be. Because so often it can be something difficult happens in my life or some challenge, and my mind can go directly to something's wrong with me. You know, if I was better at this, this wouldn't have happened to me. Damn it, this is just a confirmation of how I suck. <laughs> you ever have that? Thought? Am I the only one? Good, you're, you're calming my mind down. I'm not the only one. Phew. Oh, this is, this is what it is. This is the human predicament. Oh, I'm understanding dukkha. I'm understanding stress. I'm actually a human being. That's one level. On another level, it's coming to understand it in our meditation practice in a particular way. So for example, 
here I am, I'm sitting in meditation and I'm utilizing one of the anchors that Don talked to, to us about this morning, feeling the breath of the body or hearing sounds. And then my mind gets lost in worry about next Monday, whatever it is, fill in the blank. To understand that worry, what I'm attempting to do is to be like, oh, worry, there it is. And it feels like this. It's like this. Oh, I feel a stirring in the stomach. I feel an agitation. I'm getting to know worry. Really simple that way. So I want to distinguish this from trying to fix it or figure it out. Why am I worried? You know, do, do I have like anxiety disorders in my family history? And I want to say that that's a really important examination in a certain context. So I don't want to make a hierarchy of a better way or a worse way. But in meditation, I'm not so curious about that. I'm not even really so curious about what I'm worried about. I'm more curious about that there's worry. And so it takes this attempt to forget about Monday and to pause and to feel, oh, here's worry. So I'm taking this first step of like, oh, here's worry. And it feels like this. Interesting. Oh, and then it increases or decreases or it just goes away this time. Or it persists and it persists and it persists. Interesting. Each time I try to bring my mind back to the breath, it so doesn't want to go there. Oh, that's the nature of worry. I'm beginning to understand it. I'm beginning to get a sense of it in this way. This is what we're trying to sense into in this way of becoming curious about our experience in this manner, becoming curious about stress in particular when it arises. It's like uh, maybe another example, like what I invite you to do right now is just to uh, bring your hands together and to see if you can really feel your hands, especially like the contours there, the divots, the wrinkles, scars, I have a little scar here I can feel. It's interesting. Or the temperature, right? It's interesting, There's a, for me right now, there's a little bit more warmth than this part of my hand the palm, a little less warmth in the fingers. This is what I'm trying to do like with worry or fear or anything that arises, even joy. Oh, it feels like this. It's a little bit warmer here. Oh, it kind of fills the heart, you know, a little bit, that fear or that anger. Oh, but I can't feel it as much in the stomach. Interesting. This is all I'm doing though, right? Not fixing or figure out feeling. It's like this. This is, this is the direction that we're going in. And it's important to know, and I, I, I really invite you to cultivate the feeling sense of this in your meditation, whatever's arising, is another way of translating the Four Noble Truths is, uh, this comes from the translator uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi, they could just as easily be translated as the four ennobling truths. That when I slow down in this particular way that I'm sharing with you to feel into, like I'm feeling my hands, 
to get to know in this way, not fixing or figuring out, to notice it's ennobling. It ennobles me. It brings nobility to me because I'm entering on a path to freedom. I'm entering on a path that leads to a different way of being that brings different things into the world. So it's ennobling when you touch your suffering like this. And I think that's so important because it can feel like something's wrong with me and to get a feeling of like, oh no, like I'm doing this path that's ennobling. And of course, there's a, I want to name the undercurrent that the Buddha, Buddha is alert, alluding to when he's using this word um, ennobling and noble, because in his cultural context, those who were noble, they, become, they became noble because of the family they were born into. And so he's speaking against castes. He's saying, oh, just because the family you're born into doesn't make you noble. <laughs> There's another word for that that's called oppression, systemic oppression. And, and we might, in at least the dominant culture of the United States, there's many different cultures, but dominant culture, we could say that we have hierarchies of quote unquote, who's noble, whether it's around skin color, race, it could be around wealth as well, educational status. Sometimes it's around the language someone speaks. But the Buddha would say, I think, imagine, would say the same thing. He would say, oh, those don't make you a better person. The way to better yourself is to start to see suffering and how it courses through this mind and heart and to relate to it differently. That's the road to freedom, not some system that's made up around oppression. So ennobling, or maybe one last word that could be used when I start to relate to this in this way, which is the word love. I know it's a tricky word. There's so many different definitions, but it sometimes emotionally conveys something to us. As Allen Ginsberg said, he said, the weight of the world is love. Under the burden of solitude, under the burden of dissatisfaction, the weight, the weight we carry is love. And I'd add, I think it's around how you carry it. And when I carry that weight skillfully, it turns to love. So I want to share with you a few kind of practicalities or pointers about how to engage in this during the day in the formal meditation, in the informal meditation and the sitting and the walking so that you can start to bring out the elements to engage in this task to begin to understand stress to begin to understand suffering 
And one of the first ones is going to sound maybe strange in the context of this, but so important, which is the importance of ease and pleasure. And this is so important to know about the Buddha we find in the Pali Canon. Like, he sometimes gets a bad rap. It's like, that guy is always talking about suffering. What's up with that? Like, bring me a spiritual path as a little bit more like better beginning point, like uh, other than that. But when you look at what he teaches, so much of the path is this trail of pleasure. We start with generosity. Why generosity? Boy, it feels so good to be generous. You know, you know what I'm talking about when the heart is kind of clear? God, it feels so good. So he talks about that. Or ethical conduct. A lot of times we, at least the way I was brought up, it's like, how do I feel bad? I think about ethical conduct. But the Buddha was like, oh, ethical conduct actually feels good. It's like generosity feels good. Ethical conduct, man, that feels good. And then there's certain elements that happen in meditation that feel good. Oh, that feels good. And even better than that, freedom, letting go, that feels really good. <laughs> so I want to point out there is a, a thread of this that is really important to start to get a taste of. So in light of this, you know, and you might want to do this not in the formal sitting meditation, but taking some time to notice what's pleasant. Pleasant in, in a sense of wholesome, right? Non-addictive, onward leading pleasure. Going for a walk, it feels good. Oh, and it feels like this in the body. Seeing the sunlight or here in Flagstaff, Arizona, we just got some snow. It's been really dry. There's something so pleasant about seeing the snow in a dry, arid place. It just fills my heart. And to slow down with that is so important. And then to what comes with that also is the ex exploration, and Don took us through this a little bit this morning, is ease. How can you get a sense of relaxation and ease? So I want to point out, and I, I don't know, this might be heretical, but I'm going to still say it. If you were to spend just the day to, to get a sense of kind of healthy, non-addictive pleasure and ease and relaxation, and you're like, you know, screw it. I'm over this mindfulness stuff. Like being present, eh. I'm just going to explore this. It would be a wholesome day. I mean, of course, I'm being sneaky because in order to do that, you have to be mindful. But it's kind of nice to get a sense of like, oh, this is what it's about. Why am I bringing this up in the context of suffering? Because this is actually physiologically true. Is the more I can build capacity with ease and relaxation and also opening to pleasure, it builds capacity to be with that which is difficult. There's a correlation. The inability to be with that which is difficult, a lot of times one's physiology has a hard time being with that which is pleasurable. It also modulates our system. Because when I can take in pleasure and ease, my system is getting this, the, the physiological sense that I'm safe. Like I, if I say to myself, I'm safe, good luck with that one. <laughs> There's something different to feel it. When I'm being chased by a mountain lion, I can't take in pleasure for good reason. <laughs> like like I, there are more important things than to enjoy the snow. 
And, and so that's, there's a really good thing about when the system can't take in pleasure and ease, like when there's mountain lions chasing you, but a mountain lion's not always chasing you. And we need to understand that physiologically. So it's going to build capacity in this way. So that's one thing. And we'll explore it in the, in the meditation as well. Just that curiosity. And then um, it's also when challenge arises, it's having what I call this one word, yes. Cool. Like this is what this is about. Like stress, like I want to check this out because when I check it out, it's ennobling. Like this is, this is my path to my freedom. Worry, I, great, like bring it on. Like I want to see what fe worry feels like. Like, like I'm, I'm the researcher. What's up with this? Oh, why, why am I always getting irritated around how the dishwasher is loaded? Interesting, <laughs> you know? Oh, okay, let me see if I can feel the irritation. So it's the yes, this is my gateway to, to freedom. This might be a bit extreme, but I, I, I sometimes think it's good to kind of give how deep this can be. This is a, a, a Tibetan saying, sometimes used in monastic circles, which is, is this kind of asking for this blessing, which goes, grant that I may be given appropriate difficulties and sufferings on this journey so that my heart may be truly awakened and my practice of liberation and universal compassion may be truly fulfilled. I'm not saying I am completely there with like being fully on with that every morning of my life, but wouldn't it be great to have that boldness in our lives to be like, yeah, yeah, I, I want to learn. I want to free this heart and I want to free it also so that I can contribute into this world, this troubled world that I live in. So remember ease and pleasure. Yes, and what comes with that curiosity? Oh, worry feels like this. And then the last one, softening. This is probably the most important. Because often when we're meditating, we're being with the breath or the body or hearing sounds, our mind gets filled with irritation or sadness or it gets so excited, I can't stop thinking about this or that. And it can be painful. And that's where the judgment can come in. And I need to remember to soften. And the way I do this sometimes is just bringing in one word for me, and you might find a different word, which is the word ouch. Ouch, I'm having a hard time. This is what's implied in this one word. I care about myself. I, I really do. I care about myself. I, I, I wish myself some ease. This is really my version of self-compassion. But to boil it down to one word, to see that the most important thing is I'm not trying to get rid of it or fix it. I'm just trying to soften. Oh, this is, this is what the living do. This is what it is to be alive. Oh, oh, I too am a human being. 
just like other human beings that go through this. So again, ease and pleasure. Yes. Yeah, I'm down for this. And then softening. Okay, so let's take a, a short break. So what I mean by short break is uh, I invite you to take one minute to stand up, move your bodies, allow your attention, let's take two minutes, to move your attention away from the screen, just two minutes, and then let's come back at 36 minutes past the hour. Okay? So I'll see you then. Okay, so we'll begin again here with our meditation. And in light of that, what I invite you to do is to allow your attention to come inward. Of course, finding a posture that is supportive. And you might want to begin by simply feeling the body. And now what I invite you to do is to allow for a quality of relaxation. This is kind of in the ease and pleasure category. Maybe checking in with specific parts of the body, maybe allowing the shoulders to drop the jaw to loosen and the muscles in the face to ease. Allowing the hands to relax. Maybe allowing the pelvic floor to settle downward and open and relaxing the rest of the body as there's a settling downward. I now invite you to begin to bring your attention to one of the anchors that Don introduced us to this morning. One that feels like you resonate with it, whether it be the feeling of the breathing or the activity of hearing or simply feeling the whole body.
And in the experience of that anchor, I invite you to become curious if there's anything pleasant or easeful or at least neutral within that experience. For example, with the breathing, sometimes the feeling of expanding and contracting can have a fluid movement to it that feels pleasant or at least neutral. Or there might be something about the breath that feels easeful in the movement of it. If hearing is your anchor, there might be something pleasant or neutral or easeful about the openness or spaciousness that comes with hearing. And with the body, there might be certain aspects of the body that are pleasant or neutral. Even if there's pain in the body, sometimes there's other parts of the body that feel neutral or pleasant. Take that in. So now taking some time to really savor any pleasure in those areas or to open to any quality of neutrality in those. We now continue.
And when you find your mind lost in thought, I invite you to pause and then to reflect back about the flavor of that thinking. You might notice that planning was happening or remembering, or you might catch the emotional quality. There might have been excitement or worry or irritation or sleepiness. And if there's any lingering feeling from the thinking, to notice what it feels like, just as you would with your hands in that exercise. And if it disappears or just kind of lingering, maybe then eventually coming back to your anchor. So even bringing curiosity when the mind gets lost in thought like this, and then eventually coming back to the anchor. ease and relaxation. Curiosity. The mind getting lost in thought is like this. Interesting. And if something challenging arises, softening. Ouch, I care about myself.
becoming curious about what's going on right now. Even if the mind is lost in thought. Oh, interesting, it's like this. Breathing feels like this. Calmness feels like this. Continuing in this way.
Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.